Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm your host, Chris Ferguson. Uh, you've championed yourself, who are you? And it's been a dream of mine to showcase people, ordinary people who've taken their dreams, their ideas, and turned them into their reality. As you reach beyond your personal goals, you reach beyond the struggles, the pains, the traumas. So many people give up and lose hope instead of pushing through and accomplishing what they want. Most people are three feet from accomplishing any goal when they quit. So I say don't quit. But there are so many, there. well, there's so few who stay the course, walk through everything, go for their dreams, go for the goals, and surpass all obstacles and challenges, not knowing where it's going to take them. They trust themselves enough not to give up and do the follow through in personal life, their career and in relationships. They are what I call champions. Today, I have an amazing guest. Her name is Dr. Christy Sumner. She's a, uh, let me see how she, how she describes herself. She is, I, I'm, I'm like, she is the creator of the soul sister paranormal. And I have watched paranormal movies all my life just because of my past experiences with spirits. So let's welcome Christy to the Christy to the podcast. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I have a question. Yes, what, what got you into this? Let's start out with the basics. Let's start out with the backstory. What, what got you involved in the paranormal? Because it's not ordinary for people just to jump in and start doing investigations and uh, to accomplish something. What was that something? Well, it, interestingly enough, it started out as a girl's trip. Um, my sisters and I have always been fascinated with the paranormal, um, but we also we also have a very extensive research background. And so we would watch shows like, uh, you know, uh, ghost adventures, uh, ghost hunters and all of that. And we would say to ourselves, well, why didn't they ask this question or why didn't they use this technique or why didn't they do this or go here? And so we said if we ever had the opportunity to uh, go on a paranormal investigation, that we would do that. And so in 2000. 2014, we had the opportunity to go to Moundsville, West Virginia, which is where the West Virginia State Penitentiary is located. And we had a family friend that sat on the board of that facility. And he said, when you're here, why don't you just stay the night in the prison and see if you find anything? And um, so we, we jumped at that opportunity. Absolutely. So we stayed the night in the prison and we left that experience with what we felt was extremely compelling um, evidence. You know, we were hearing footsteps. We were hearing door slams. We were hearing voices in the moment when there was nobody there and then capturing them on audio. So after that, that um, experience, we wanted to really see if we could um, go forward and, and really highlight the historical narrative of these locations, as well as try to either find or debunk any paranormal activity uh, that is reported at those locations. So we formed Soul Sisters Paranormal. We came up with our name, our logo, our theme music, and all of that, and uh, really just tried to, um, as best as we could, elevate the, the the paranormal community in a professional way. Um, because you know a lot of people see it as a negative. It, it, there's a negative stereotype or a negative connotation with it. And what we wanted to do do was really highlight the fact that, you know, we, we are educated individuals. We're pursuing this from a research mindset and, and we really want to elevate it in a professional sense if we could. And so that's what we've been striving to do since 2014. Wow. That's amazing. If you ever come to Tennessee, I'm retired. Let me know. I'll do one with you one night. And, I'm actually and, in Tennessee. <laughs> and okay. And uh, um, I live on the trail of tears. Okay. Mm-hmm. My great, great, great grandmother was black Cherokee and she was being forced across the trail of tears mm. and she broke off luckily and made it to Kentucky. And my grandfather and his family hid her and she was so grateful. She married my grandfather. Oh. And so being on the trail of tears, being native American, my dad's Kiowa. So the fact is, is it's the native American really resonate resonates with me, but I have different things happening. Mm -hmm. Um, see different things, go to different places, have the, have those intuitive feelings. And actually I have had them come up to my ear and whisper and say, say this or say that they'll, re they'll resonate with it. So being extremely intuitive that I am, mm -hmm. and I have also been in law enforcement, law enforcement for many, many years. So I question everything. Absolutely. Question everything. And, mm -hmm. and, but at the same time, you can't dismiss that spirit whispering in your ear and saying, okay, I'm going to question that, but 
let's debunk it. How can you debunk something like that? Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And it it is something that, you know, when you try to explain to people what you do and, and how you do it, um, they, they they first either look at you like you have two heads or they want to tell you tell you their ghost story. Um, and we've really found that most people want to tell you their ghost story. Most people want to be believed um, that they are experiencing something that is something going on either in their business or their home. And we again, we really try to, again, tell them that we believe you're experiencing something, but let's see what that something is. Um, and so we'll go in and first look for environmental factors that could explain um, some of what they're experiencing or what they're feeling. And then tell them, you know, if you look at it like this, from this angle, you can understand why it's the wind or why it's light or, you know, your neighbor's dog or something like that. Um, but when we control for all of those things and, and what we're left with are the things that we can't explain, those unexplainable things. And we've been fortunate enough to, to go to these locations and capture the those unexplainable things. I love this. I love this. But let's talk about some of the places you've been. You mentioned Absolutely. West Virginia mm -hmm. as far as a, um, you went to the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Yes, the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. That's in West and West Virginia. And this location is it, it. It's one thing to see it on television, but when you roll up on it, it's a massive building. It's a massive facility. It was built in 1864 and is in operation until 1994. And when it was first built, it was built um, as a as a place where those with mental incapacities could try to find some type of a relief. Um, it was very open. The rooms had solariums in it. Um, there was really going to be a hands-on type of medical um, interaction with these with these patients uh, to really try to help them get better. Um, so it was originally built, even though it's a massive structure, it was originally built to house 250 patients. Um, by the time it closed in 1994, it, it had over 2,500 patients in it. And it had digressed to the point of um, the, the medical staff performing lobotomies and shock treatment and mm -hmm. cold water bath treatment and all of this. So what we felt was that that negative energy, not so much dark energy, but the negative energy really mm -hmm. permeated into the walls. And, and that's why we believe that there's so much spirit activity there, activity that we couldn't explain while we were there. Um, so we went into this location, we set up our equipment. Um, this was actually our second paranormal investigation after West Virginia. Um, and so we're, again, experiencing things that we could not explain. Um, there was an instance where there were five of us on this investigation and there were two docents that had to stay on site with us. Um, so we were all, after we'd set up our equipment, we were mm -hmm. all in this one area of the building, the a far end hallway, first floor. And we were just talking amongst ourselves, talking about our equipment. And we heard this blood curdling scream from the other end of the hallway. Um, extremely loud. Every piece of equipment we had running in the building captured this scream. Um, and we can't explain it because we're the only people in this building. Um, we ran down the hallway. We tried to find it. There was no um, there was no source that we could find that would cause this other than something that we couldn't explain. Wow. Well, those are the, those are the moments, even when you're sitting in your tele in your home, you're not even there and you hear it and you go, Oh my gosh, what was that? I heard it too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. It's a, oh, you have that, multiple people hearing it. Yeah. My, the one question that came up, or the one thing I heard while you were talking about that was several of them said several beings from that place is now communicating with me. And they're saying we weren't all crazy. No, no, they weren't all crazy. It was just there. They're, well, no, they're saying that they were put there to be controlled. Well, exactly. And that's amazing that you picked up on that because that was the point. So, you know, back again in the early uh, or the, the mid 1860s, that's when this was built in 1864 um, when they first established it, you could be put in there for anything, right? So from cussing to reading the wrong books to, you know, they had a whole list of things that you could be admitted for. And the interesting thing was, well, the sad thing was, is that once you were put in there or recommended to be put in there, the only person who could get you out was the person who recommended you to go in. Right. So you had a lot of husbands who didn't like their wives right. saying, well, my I wife is that. insane. I got that. I'm in, yeah. I'm I'm admitting her and then yeah. would walk away. They'd never go back and 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 go get them or, or release them from that that essentially a, a mental prison, if you will. And so you also had instances where they were pregnant. So they would have kids um, that mm. would be born in this in the trans allegheny lunatic asylum. So there's a there's a very big uh, child presence um, when you go in there as well. Um, the spirits activity. 
activity of children, um, you know, playing, rolling balls around or manipulating flashlights or manipulating some of, of our other handheld equipment. So it's interesting that you did pick up on that because you're absolutely right. A lot of people that were put in there were not that they had no issues. It was just they were left there. Yeah, but they had the lobotomies, they had the waterboarding, mm -hmm. they had the the water treatments, and and that literally is what was killing their souls. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So you know, when you're in a place with that, with at that point, no medical oversight, no regulation, um, government regulation, basically free reign of of, of medical pr procedures mm -hmm. in an attempt to um, you know fix them or an attempt to advance science in some cases, uh, and they don't go so well. Yeah, absolutely, you can be incapacitated for life at that point. Yeah, that and that's the sad part. I, I hear their tears. I hear them mm -hmm. crying. I hear I hear their sorrow and mm -hmm. and their their abandonment is what mm -hmm. I hear. And then that's but a great I, word for it. Um, let's talk about the Lizzie Borden house. There's <laughs> I, I, I've watched several several different documentaries on this, and some say she didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Some say she did do it, and she was just blamed for it. Mm -hmm. So, what did you what did you find there? You know, again, the Lizzie Borden house was one that you, you see on multiple television shows, but to actually have that experience to go in there and know that you're walking on the floors that Lizzie walked on, you're touching the door handles that Lizzie touched. Uh, it, it's definitely a surreal experience when you go to some of these locations. Uh, and that's why it's so fascinating to me, because we do get to have that very tactile experience with these places. Um, so when we went, uh, there were four Soul Sisters paranormal investigators, and we were joined by Miranda Young from Ghost Biker Exploration. So there were only five females in the house. We had the entire house to ourselves for the night. Um, we went in and we started setting up our equipment. And when we start setting up our equipment, um, because we have equipment that we leave in certain places that run throughout the entire night, even though we're not in a room, we'll have a, a video camera or a voice recorder or both going in that room. So when I say set up equipment, that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So, but as soon as we walk into a place that we start investigating, we turn on our voice recorders. So they're always running the entire night. The voice recorders from start to finish are running. Um, so we had started our, our setup and um, Miranda and Cara and I were upstairs and Jenny and Michelle were down in the parlor area where Andrew Borden was was murdered. Mm -hmm. And so they, they, they'd set up the equipment in that room and they're just talking, you know, just the two of them just talking, just making small talk. And um, during the course of that conversation, when we went back and listened to the audio, you can hear a man standing beside Jenny saying, I'm standing right here next to you. And now she didn't hear it in the moment, but we definitely picked it up on the audio recorder. And that to me shows an intelligence level, right? The the spirit sees us, it knows we're there, and it's trying to communicate. And even though we didn't hear it, it's saying, hey, I'm right here. Um, and then later on during that night, Kara uh, and Jenny were sitting in the parlor and again, just community, just talking back and forth. And we had been, we had been to the Velisca Axe murder house earlier that year. And so Kara and Jenny were talking about the differences of this, of the houses, even though the murders were similar, talking about the differences of the houses. And Kara um, said, whatever happened, that, that would be a horrible way to go. And as soon as she said that a, a male's voice said it was, again, shows a level of intelligence that it's listening to the conversation and interjecting that, yeah, it was a horrible way to go. Um, so th those were two very interesting pieces of evidence that we captured. Um, we captured children laughing during the night. Um, we captured voices that we actually heard in the moment. Um, for example, we were all sitting in an upstairs room where the maid Bridget would live uh, during uh, the Lizzie Borden era there. Um, and so we we're all in this room, the door was shut and we're just talking and Miranda says, I'm going to put a K2 meter on the floor so you can play with that. And outside the door, a man said, ignore them. We all heard it. It picked up on our voice recorders. So again, a level of intelligence that it hears us, yeah. it sees us, it's interacting with us. Um, so the Lizzie Borden house was just a, a fascinating um, house to experience. I mean, you've got these, the murders happened in 1892 and, mm. you know, at that point, when you go back and you do the research of the house and really delve into it, um, you can see where it would be possible for somebody to commit these murders. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, personally, I do feel that it was, was Lizzie Borden who committed the murders. Um, I feel that there was some duress that made her do that. Um, but the interesting thing was, is, uh, you know, after the murders and she was acquitted, uh, she lived until 1927. And 
she lived in that town. She never left. Um, she bought another house. She lived down the road, um, but she, she faced ridicule the entire rest of her life, but she, she remained in that town, which to me was extremely fascinating. The, what I had, what I had understood when I was watching the documentaries on this, it was, it was the maid that did it because he was having an affair with the maid. There's been that speculation, absolutely, that that Lizzie and the maid actually did it um, because of the affair. And also um, some instances or some reports say that Lizzie was being um, abused by her father. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it, it is one of those things. It is when you when you go into the house, it's it's interesting <laughs> to see how, you know, the the mother Abby was killed first on the second mm -hmm. floor, and then um, uh, they, and, they but the father wasn't home, and exactly. Lizzie wasn't home when the mother was killed. It yep. was so again the only person, other person in the house was the maid. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I just I love this conversation, but I want to ask you a different question right now. Sure. As a female paranormal investigator, do you find that because of your feminine side? that they're willing to talk to you more or you notice them talking to you more because of your, the way you present yourself, that you're there as, as in a compassionate understanding way and they're more apt to step up and talk. And that is a great question. And I absolutely feel that, um, you know, when we go into these locations and we're all female, I, I do feel that um, the the empathy that a female has the, by, by nature, that that it really does allow us to get different activity than an all male or co-ed team would. Um, and, and also we go in with a legitimate sense of wanting to tell a story of, of any spirit that's there. We want to communicate with them and tell their story. Um, we're not there for bravado. We're not there for chest pumping or provoking or anything like that. And I think when we go in with that level of respect, we get the respect of I'm going to communicate with you, or I'm going to try to allow you to see that I'm here um, or hear that I'm here. Uh, and so to your point, it absolutely, I think enables us to find things that are a little bit different than any other team would. Yeah. Or a different perspective, because the thing is, is, is women usually don't start wars. <laughs> women don't start. They, they can be some women that can start some conflicts. Let's just be real. You're right. But the fact is, is for the most part, it's that that feminine, gentle side mm -hmm. either. And, and this is just what came up while you were talking about that. And some of the men come up because they think they can intimidate you. Mm -hmm. and, they, and they can't. So the thing is, is I think that's why when, when you were talking about when you were at the house and, and you went into the room and he said, don't listen to them. That was a male dominance trying to control the situation. And I was okay. like, Ooh, <laughs> that's why I had to ask the question yeah. to give you the understanding because, um, and, and and that's great insight, you know, and to your point, it, it is one of the things where we, we do have two different facets, right? So we, we are an all-female team, um, but we all are strong women. Um, you know, every single one of us have advanced degrees. So I've got a PhD, my twin has a PhD, two master, or a, two JDs and a master's holder on the team. So we do come up from it, at it from a research perspective, right. um, but we also encase it in that empathy that we spoke about. Um, and we also, before an investigation, we will meticulously research the location and come up with questions that we can ask specific individuals if we can find them. Um, you, for example, when we went to Fort Mifflin in Philadelphia, which was a revolutionary war fort, um, we knew that there was a prisoner by the name of William Howe that was housed in a solitary confinement cell uh, during the Revolutionary War. Um, this was a subterranean um, casemate that they had him in. It was about seven feet underground. And so because of that, we asked ourselves, what would somebody in solitary confinement want? So probably water, probably bread. So we took him also a cigarette and we left those things. And we said, William, we re realized you were in here. Um, these are things for you. We brought them for you. And if you're willing to communicate with us, Fantastic. And so because of that, we were able to get what we felt was some very compelling evidence. We captured a male's voice. We saw a shadow figure that we were able to capture on video as well. And I, I think because we go in, like I said, with that level of respect, we get a respect in response. Just so you know, my being 40 years in law enforcement, I was a correctional officer to men's prison out in Wyoming. Wow. And they didn't shut the territorial prison down until 1981. This prison had been going forever. But just to understand inmates, cigarettes and coffee are gold inside yeah. of a prison. So if you mm -hmm. ever, ever going to do a, a, a place where it's male dominant, bring coffee. 
Yeah, that's a great one. We haven't thought of coffee, but every time we do a prison or a jail, cigarettes and cigars are absolutely our go-to. Yeah, those are those are good. They're considered money currency inside mm -hmm. of a prison because they can't have it. So just just as a thought, coffee's there, a great one. Coffee's now on my list. Of <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so so it's it's uh, it's interesting. So now you're it's just you and your sister that are your twin that are investigating. For logistic reasons, um, my, my twin and I uh, are, are the majority. We will investigate the majority of the locations now. Um, if Kara and Kim and Michelle can make it, then they will join us. Um, but, you know, th when you do this for so many years, obviously mm -hmm. circumstances change, new jobs. Um, mm -hmm. Kim had a grandbaby, you know, people move. So just for logistic reasons, it's easier from, for Jenny and I, Jenny's my twin, uh, for she and I to really get together and get to these locations um, with two of us rather than five. Um, so for the past, uh, year, year and a half, it's been primarily Jenny and myself. You did the blue, the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary here in Tennessee. I did. Yes. I've actually been there twice. Um, Brushy Mountain is. Where is that at? One, where is that at? And mm -hmm. two, um, how close is it to Chattanooga? Um, it's in Petros, Tennessee, which, um, are you familiar with Oak Ridge where Oak mm -hmm. Ridge is? Okay. Over by Knoxville. Yeah, yeah. So it's about, um, I think, 20, about 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes from Oak Ridge. Um, okay. So from Knoxville, it's about an hour and a half, I think, around there. Um, but it's a it's a fascinating location. I highly recommend you visit it. Um, it, it was built in 1896. And the interesting thing was, um, after the Civil War, the, the state of Tennessee was essentially bankrupt, right? It had no money. Its coffers were um, just empty. And so it had to find a way to make money. So what it did was it had a prisoner leasing system. And so the, it would, the state would lease out these prisoners to private companies um, and, in exchange for the companies housing and feeding these prisoners. Right. So the but the the um, the the companies were making a lot of money. The prison, uh, the, the state itself wasn't making that much. Um, and then there was an uprising called the Coal Creek Wars, where um, the 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 citizens really revolted against this prisoner leasing system. And so the prisoner leasing system ended. But the state said, well, OK, what we're going to do is we're just going to take our prisoners and we're going to open a prison by a mine that we are going to mine ourselves. So mm -hmm. it built Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary again in 1896 um, in, in the front of the Frozen Head State Mine uh, there in Petros, Tennessee. And mm -hmm. so it had uh, railroad spurs that would go down into these mines and the, they would take the prisoners every day. Um, they would work on 12-hour uh, shifts. So you'd go and, and half the prisoners would go into the mine and then 12 hours later you'd shift them. So the mine was working 24 hours a day. Um, so uh, and, and then it, it became a maximum security prison in the 1960s. So really the worst of the worst were housed there. Um, that's where they put James Earl Ray after mm -hmm. uh, he assassinated uh, Martin Luther King. And so the prison was in operation until 2009 and then it shut down and became abandoned. Um, and then after that, it, it became a, a tourist attraction that uh, allows you, you can go in and you can visit it. Um, they've got a restaurant there. They've got a distillery there. Um, but paranormal mm -hmm. investigators absolutely go to this location at night. Um, like I said, we been there twice the first mm -hmm. time was just with jenny and myself and the other time was with uh, miranda from ghost biker explorations and this location is really active with things that we couldn't explain right we were capturing mm -hmm. footsteps we were hearing males voices we captured shadow figures we were getting direct responses um door slamming all, pretty much anything you could want in a, a quote-unquote haunted location we were experiencing those nights we were there because uh, it was like, okay, I, I've not, I've, I, I've heard of the other prison or the other asylum that's in Tennessee, and I can't think of the name right now. Several, several people have gone into. It's up by Kentucky. Uh, well, there's Waverly. Um, Waverly. But that, that's in Kentucky. Yeah. Okay. Waverly is so, in Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, okay, they said, well, Chris, you should go there, and I was like, <laughs> um. It's different <laughs> for me than it is for everybody else because mm -hmm. being an extreme empath mm -hmm. and having my own spirit guides and my own spirits protecting me that do since and have since I was four years old, I'm afraid it's going to be a gang fight is, is what I'm afraid it's going to be because me bringing my, all of my stuff mm -hmm. with me to go in there, it'd be like, ah, they're, we're inv being invaded, you know? So, <laughs> right. And, so and, I, and I you know, 
and, and it, it is, I, I know several impasse and it, there, there are locations where it, it is that, right? It is, a, it's a sensory overload. Um, and I think Petros or, or the Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in Petros, um, it, it may have that uh, effect on you. Um, but like I said, when we go in, we go, we do go in with that intention that what I call the right intention. And, mm-hmm. and so when we go, like, say, for example, we go into a cell block and, and not, I'm not going to say anything is we've never experienced what I would call something demonic. Right. But right. I will say we've experienced things that are darker. And mm-hmm. I, I just feel that a prison is a place that was, was housing not so great people. So you're going right. to get those people that had a, have a yes. darker spirit. It's not demonic. It's just darker. And mm-hmm. so when we find a place like that and, and brushy has several cell blocks like that, it's one of those where we're like, okay, we're going to leave you to your space. Here's a voice recorder. Here's a camera. If you want to interact with us, this is how you can do it. But this is your space. If you don't want to talk to us and you want us out, we're gone. We'll go to another cell block or we'll go to the cafeteria or something like that. And again, for us, it, it, it does become that respect level of we know that you're here. We know that this is your home and your space and, and where mm-hmm. you're residing. So if you don't want us there, we're going to back away and go to somewhere else. Um, but we always do set boundaries like you're, you're not allowed to touch us yes. unless we give you permission. You're not mm-hmm. allowed to come home with us. You're not allowed to harm us in any way. Um, and I think because of that, we've never experienced anything that I would feel is is malicious towards us. Um, mm-hmm. We've had we've had um, instances where a spirit will say, get out or I'm going to kill you or something like that. But mm-hmm. it's never been any anything physical that has either come home with us or harmed us in the moment. I, um, I could understand that, but you've never, uh, the difference is, is 40 years of law enforcement going into a penitentiary. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I was the one keeping them there. Mm-hmm. So I had a contract put out of my life from an inmate wow. when I worked in a penitentiary out in Wyoming, because the warden said no, but no inmate, he was giving them peanuts. Wow. He said, but you can't take them back in your cell block because of course they use peanuts to ferment and create alcohol mm, right. or hooch as the prison, <laughs> the prison term is. And this guy wanted to take them back in. And I said, no, you can't, you can either throw them away, go outside and eat them, but you can't take it back yourself. And he goes, B I'm going to murder you. I'm going to. And I said, dude, you know, I I'm here every day. You know where I, I stay. So right. get, get, get froggy and leap. <laughs> it was just like over peanuts wow. that's how that's how serious mm-hmm. some of this stuff is oh, and absolutely. So, you know it's it's kind of most people don't understand that that understanding but mm-hmm. what did you have at the grand old lady Ho- hotel in north carolina i'm the- i'm i'm picking up there's some there's some entities coming to me when i looked down and saw that on on your sheet i was like we got to talk I, about this. I absolutely love the Grand Old Lady Hotel. This hotel is is magnificent, and it's unfortunate that it's it kind of sits off the beaten path, right? So not a lot of people know about it. It's in Balsam, North Carolina, um, and it was built in 1905 as part of the railway system. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it sits at one of the highest points in the mountain range there. And um, it, it, back in the day, in 1905, it was opulent, right? It's a three-story hotel. It has 100 guests rooms, hardwood floors, grand staircases, a, an amazing lobby. Um, and it was, and it's, it's close by some springs that was an attraction. And um, so people would flock to this hotel, especially during the summer. Um, and then in, in the 1930s and 40s, it really started to digress um, as far as tourism and, and traffic, tourism traffic. And um, so it really kind of started to fall into disrepair and disuse. And eventually it became abandoned and it sat there for a while. Um, and then the new owner, uh, the current owner, she, she took it on and she really wanted to kind of bring it back to its glory. So um, all of the rooms are, are just magnificent. Like I said, the hardwood floors throughout, there's a ballroom, there's a, um, there's a kitchen uh, and uh, just different levels of, of different types of rooms, single rooms, suites, double beds and all of that. Um, but there's no televisions, there's no radios because she really wanted to keep that feel mm-hmm. of community, right? When you go in, she wants mm-hmm. you to talk, she wants you to go into the game room and play board games. Um, um, 
So when we investigated there, we actually rented the entire building for a weekend. Um, so we were there for, for two nights, three days. And um, it was just myself, Jenny and Miranda from Ghost Biker Explorations. So Miranda conducted her investigation on Friday night. And so um, she was capturing some very interesting things, um, voices that we couldn't explain, uh, children's voices, male voices. And so then so she did her investigation. And then Jenny and I did our investigation on Saturday into Saturday night, early Sunday morning. And um, so some of the things that we are capturing is um, we had direct responses from men. Again, there's no males on the property, direct responses from men. Um, we were in the kitchen area about two in the morning and we said, uh, if you're here, we just like to know that you're here and the coffee pot turns on. And then we're on the third level and a table got pushed over on the first level. Um, but one of the most interesting thing was, on Saturday night, um, we decided to all the three of us sleep in one of the rooms that was a suite. And it was it ran adjacent to one of the most haunted hallways in the Grand Old Lady Hotel called Henry's Hall. And so the way the room is, you've got one door that you can enter and exit the room, but it's divided into two little separate rooms. So Miranda had the I'd call it the outer room. And then Jenny and I were in the interior room. But anytime you had to exit the room, you had to go out of this one door. And mm -hmm. so we had a night vision video camera on the inside of the door, a night vision video camera on the outside of the door, and we all had voice recorders. And so we can verify that there's nobody in this building because of these cameras, right? And so you see us get into bed, we say our good nights, lights go off, and about 15 minutes later, a male's voice outside the door says, please don't go. And Miranda said, did y'all hear that? And I said, yeah. And she goes, what was that? And I said, there's a man outside our door. And she said, yeah, that's what I thought. And so it was probably one of the best, what we call EVPs um, that we've captured uh, just because it's so clear. You can absolutely verify that there's nobody there. We've captured it on audio. Um, so for me, the, the grand old lady is just one of those locations that I, you know, I would visit every day if I could. Well, I'm being told, ask her about the ballroom. Something happened in the ballroom while you were there. And it had to do with a woman and it had to do with, I don't know if she died there or she's a previous owner of it, but I'm getting a female that just you had an interaction with in the ballroom. Well, that's interesting because the the room that the table overturned was it wasn't in the ballroom, but it was the so you, there's the ballroom door and then you cross the hallway and there's a guest room and that's where the table overturned. And then if you go directly through the ballroom, obviously that's the kitchen and that's where the the um, uh, the coffee pot turned on. So we did spend some time in there. Um, Miranda had some dowsing rods um, that she was using to get some interesting communications. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there is a report of a, a woman in white that walks through that ballroom and in that hallway. Um, we didn't see her as an apparition or anything like that, right. but those two experiences, the table overturning and the coffee pot turning on, um, yeah, I would attribute that to, uh, to the woman who is said to reside there. The thing that I'm hearing right now, and, and I don't know if you can feel it, but I'm having chills because of bringing up this and then mm -hmm. being validated. But the second thing was, is she was so happy that there was other women in the house mm -hmm. and in the hotel in an understanding of trying to find out what's going on. That tickled her because in her day, women weren't allowed Mm -hmm. And that's very interesting that you say that because a lot of the evidence that we captured that night was what we felt um, interactive and female based and that it was trying to communicate with us. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's fascinating that you're picking up on that because that really was what we were experiencing. Um, you know, when we go to these locations, we have different pieces of handheld equipment that we take with us um, mm -hmm. and designed to measure different things. And so we really try to, in the, in the spirit of research, we try to get things to validate each other, right? Mm -hmm. So hearing a voice is fantastic. But if I can hear a voice on the and capture it on the voice recorder and capture a shadow figure at the same time, right now I've got two different things validating. And that just builds our case that that there is something going right. on. So in one instance, we were all the three of us were up in one of the rooms on the second. No, this was on the third floor. And we have a device called an EDI box. And what it does, it, it does several things. It measures vibration, it measures temperature change, um, it, and it measures it has flux fluctuations um, in sound and stuff like that. So we put it down on a dresser 
in the room and we stepped back to the other side of the room and Miranda was holding a camera called an SLS camera. And mm -hmm. generally speaking, what this does is it's a camera that has, it's connected to an iPad that has an algorithm. And what that algorithm does is when you sweep the camera around the room, it displays anything it perceives as human as a stick figure on the screen. So if I were to point it at you, you would become a stick figure on the screen. So theoretically, if there's nobody standing in front of the camera, we shouldn't see this, this stick figure, right? Because there's no human there. So mm -hmm. when it perceives something as human and it puts the figure on the screen, that's kind of interesting to us. So we're in this room. Again, standing back, Miranda's holding the camera. I'm filming so you can see the camera angle and the EDI box in the background. And so this figure pops up on the screen. And so we said, if, if you can hear us, can you just reach over and touch the orange box that's on the dresser? And sure enough, you see this hand come off the stick figure and you see the EDI box start to light up like something, the vibration, something has tapped it. And I'm capturing this on film and it's magnificent because now we've got two things, the, the SLS camera and the EDI box validating that something's going on. Um, so that was a very interesting piece of evidence for us to capture at the Grand Old Lady. Yeah, I just, it just, uh, I, for, again, I, I just, I'm all about energy and I'm all about frequencies and I'm all about quantum physics. Mm -hmm. And when you understand quantum physics and most people don't think about that, they don't understand that, that I can, I could give you a transfer of energy or an immersion as I call it, mm -hmm. and you could feel it instantaneously. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with them, but Explain to, to our audience, for those who don't know, about the amount of energy it would take for a being to be shown, because it's a lot of energy. It is a lot of energy, and, and that's the reason why when uh, the, uh, uh, an entity tries to manifest itself, you will feel something that's, that's colder. Um, it's like it's draining the, the heat out of the air. Um, and a lot of times you'll also experience battery drain, um, whether it be on your camera or the handheld equipment that you have. Um, if you're in a location where you just can't keep things charged or, um, that, that has a very slow or a very, um, short battery life that could be, an entity draining that energy to manifest itself. And we've actually had that in some instances. Um, I mentioned Fort Mifflin. We captured mm -hmm. a shadow figure. Um, it was fascinating because we we're in that casemate again, and we had left an, a stationary night vision video camera next to a laser grid. And um, there's no way anybody could have gotten into this room because there is only one doorway and the camera was sitting in the doorway. Um, and we had all left. You see us leave. And then you see this shadow figure walk across the room. It cuts off the laser beams as it does so. And so that is energy manifestation. And so you, it does take a lot of energy to do that. And it's one of those things that when you capture it, you know you've captured something special because it doesn't happen that often. Um, we captured a shadow figure at Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary. Um, same thing. And, and we do believe because we had several pieces of equipment running that night, um, we do believe that it, it did draw from some of those because after that, we did have a power drain. And so it was a very interesting thing that we captured, but we all saw it and we captured it on, uh, on our video cameras. And so to your point, it does take a lot of energy. And that's why in, in my mind, um, EVPs are, they don't take as, as much energy, I think, to say a voice as it does to manifest as some type of an apparition or a shadow figure. And so that's why I think EVPs are a little, are, are more prevalent um, form of, of um, evidence that we capture. I, I'm, I'm so glad you explained that because for me, if I can't wear, I, I, I've been able to find one watch that I can wear <laughs> Yeah, because the watch will just go dead when I'm wearing it. Mm -hmm. So the fact is, is thank God I'm still breathing to be able to say this <laughs> as alive and not, you know, as a deceased person, but there are those people that are just connected. Mm -hmm. If it lightnings close to me, I have a plate in my arm from an injury that I had my, this it's titanium. And okay. I'll feel the energy in my plate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, 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 just... Yeah. And to your point, energy is all around us, right? And mm -hmm. when you think about the fact that we are made up of energy and energy cannot be created or destroyed, we have to go somewhere. There's, there's something that has to happen um, when we pass. And now I don't believe that every person that passes becomes a spirit or a ghost that 
is quote unquote earthbound. I do believe that there are certain instances why some spirits remain and others ascend to whatever's next, whatever level you want to call that. Um, and, and so to me, it's not one of those things where you're always going to see a spirit everywhere you go. I mean, there's some locations where we don't capture anything that we consider unexplainable or paranormal. Um, there's some instances where we're just sitting there and we don't capture um, anything that we don't feel anything. We don't, that's not to say that it's not there. We just didn't capture it in the moment. Um, but uh, you know, for me, I don't think that every person that dies becomes a spirit. It's there's certain reasons why you stay behind. And well, there's, there's, they're saying, yes, you're true. You're correct. You're correct. Mm -hmm. But it's also they're saying it's usually because of trauma. It's usually of dying before your time. It's usually be, being, you know, uh, murdered. Um, a war, I get warrior. I get uh, military. I get like here. If you go to Chattanooga, just south of Chattanooga into Georgia, you've got the the um, burial ground mm -hmm. of a lot of soldiers from the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the Chickamauga battlefield. Yeah. That's yeah, a great and, and they're still stuck there because they didn't get a chance to finish mm -hmm. their life here. It was cut short. And so mm -hmm. that's what I call um, an earthbound spirits. Mm -hmm. And yeah. usually um, a lot of people don't understand the word residual okay. energy. Can you explain that to my audience? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, what we found is there's two different types of energy or two different types of spirits that, that we can communicate with or find evidence of. The first one is intelligent. And that would go back to the Lizzie Borden um, video where, you know, we're, we're talking and something's interjecting into that conversation. It sees us, it hears us, it's interacting with us and knows that we're there. Um, a residual haunting is something essentially, I describe it like, um, a record, like a vinyl record, right? And it has a scratch in it. Every time the needle hits that scratch, it's going to blip. And so residual is is similar to that. Every time it hits a certain, either an anniversary or a date or here's a name, that that triggers a blip on essentially the record of time. And so it's it's it, it will happen, like, like I said, on an anniversary date. Um, so to give you an example of that, we investigated the Ma Barker house in central Florida. And mm -hmm. we, to date, we've been the only team allowed to investigate this house. And this was the site of the 1935 shootout between um, the FBI and two members of the Barker Carpus gang, Ma mm -hmm. Barker and her son, Fred. And mm -hmm. to date, it's still the longest FBI shootout in history at about four and a half hours. And so when we investigated this location, again, we had done a, a, an extensive background on the history of the house. And um, during the shootout in 1935, January 16th, 1935, um, Ma and Fred were up in the upstairs bedroom and they were killed by the FBI in that room. And so that room is what we found was extremely active. So when we investigated, we wanted to do a two part investigation. The first one was we went into the house, we set up stationary equipment. So voice recorders, uh, 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 cameras, some different pieces of equipment we left in the house and then we locked the house and left. Right. So we had complete control of the environment. Nobody entered the house. It sits on about 40 acres by itself. No power, no water, nothing into the house. And so we left and let everything run. So then when we came back the next morning, which would have been the, the anniversary of the shootout, we came back at about 11 o'clock. Um, we took all that equipment and we started listening to it. And what we found was at about 5.30 that morning, which would have been about the time the shootout started 83 years mm -hmm. prior, um, we captured two EVPs. The first one said, Freddie. The next one said, yeah, ma. The first one said, get ready. And I believe that is exactly what they said before the shootout happened. I think that's mm -hmm. residual. It wasn't, it wasn't communicating with us. It was mm -hmm. something that on the anniversary of that shootout, it's going to be said if you're willing to listen. Um, so that to me is a residual haunting. It's there. It's in the air. It's in the time, essentially. Um, it doesn't need anything manipulating it to have it heard. Right. So that's what I would call residual. I, I think that's amazing. And um, they were kind of bad, bad people. So I'm not... You know, they they got what they deserved, mm -hmm. but the fact is, is that they still live there and they still their spirits still reside there. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, I, I do believe that their spirits reside there. Um, the interesting thing about the Ma Barker house is, um, the, like I said, the shootout happened in 1935, and the the um, Ma and Fred had actually rented that house in Central Florida under the name of Bar- of uh, T.C. Blackburn. That was the alias that they used, and they rented it in November of 1934 because J. Edgar Hoover um, was tracking them down because of a kidnapping that they had just uh, they mm-hmm. had just received the ransom for, and so the gang had split up. Ma and Fred went to Florida. They rented the house and the shootout happened and the family who rented it, rented it to them was the, the Carson Bradford family. The Bradford family maintained the house as it was the day of the shootout up until 2016. So you walk into the house now, there's bullet holes in the wall, there's bullet holes in the furniture, the floor is the same, sconce is the same, all of that, only the windows have really been replaced. Right. Um, so in 2016, the family decided to sell the house um, and the land, the new owner bought the land. He did not want the house. He was going to demolish it. And mm. so the Marion County said, we'll take the house. They put it on a barge and they floated it across Lake Weir to a new location. And so when we went, we went with the premise that the spirits are going to stay with the house because mm-hmm. in they had no ties to the land. Um, right. the how, and they were nomadic in life, right? They had no home base. So why not stay with your last hideout? And mm-hmm. so to your point, absolutely. They, they were not great people in life. Um, I think they have a, a strong energy, a strong presence in that house. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when, after, after we did that investigation, I actually became a docent. And so I would lead tours through there. And, um, I, so I would open the house up in the morning and I would go in and say, Hey mom, Hey Fred, you know, I'm here. How you doing this morning? And I would get responses. I would get knocks. I would get bangs in response. Um, so I, I think at this point, you know, they they want their presence to be known, but mm-hmm. uh, they're not malicious in any way toward the visitors. More grandiosa. I'm getting yeah. the word grandiosa. They want people to know who they were. It was all about who they are, what they are, and the intimidation they could cause. Oh, absolutely. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, when we do these investigations, if you watch any of our videos, um, we always consistently say, we're here to tell your story. We want to tell your story, if you're willing to, to tell it to us. And so when we were at the, the Barker house, um, we have a, a device called a spirit box. Mm-hmm. And essentially, this is just a small AM FM radio. It's been modified to very quickly sweep through frequencies. And so when you turn it on and you hit the sweep button, all you hear is as it's running through these AM and FM frequencies in in seconds, right? And Mm -hmm. so theoretically, you should never hear a phrase coming through this box because it's hitting these radio stations and these frequencies so quickly, you shouldn't hear a full phrase come through this. The theory is that spirits can use the white noise to formulate words to communicate with us. So we were upstairs in the kill, we call it the kill room. We were upstairs in the kill room where mom and Fred's body were found. And it was just Jenny and myself um, during the night. And we turned on the, uh, the, the spirit box and, you know, you hear it going. And I said, uh, what happened in this room? And through the spirit box, it said, they murdered us. We, the ones dead. And it came <laughs> through that box. And again, that's something that should not happen. Mm-hmm. But it, you hear it plain as day. They murdered us. We the ones dead. Um, they would so, see it as that. Exactly. They would so that they would uh, there you go. That's the point of my story. That is their story. You know, the FBI, the FBI killed them, but they consider it murder. Yes. Um, and, and that is one of the theories that that they were actually murdered inside there. And, and you know, um, that one of the, the officers got in there and just actually just point blank murdered them um, instead of the shootout. So um, it, it is very interesting when you ask them to tell their story. But to your mm-hmm. point, um, they do. I feel that they do want that story told. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, Christy, I love this. I love everything we've been talking about. I could sit here and talk to you for hours <laughs> about these different cases you've been on. I did. Um, I didn't watch any of your videos before because I didn't want it to um, um, interfere with what I picked up or, or the interview. But I will go back. But well, if thanks. somebody wanted to get a hold of you that, that you know, do, do you take. um Request for like someone says, hey, my house, I think it's haunted. Can you come and check it out? What would be the best way they could get a hold of you? Well, our website is www.soulsistersparanormal.com. So anything you want to know about us is there. Our contact information, all of our videos, um, all of the places we've been, our upcoming events, all of that is there. 
We're also very active on Facebook under Soul Sisters Paranormal. So you can message us there. Um, and also we have a YouTube channel, Soul Sisters Paranormal. You can watch all of our videos there and all of our, our special uh, series that we have going on right now. So um, that's where all of our information is. I, I, I love it. I love it. Again, anybody interested, it's www.soulsistersparanormal.com. And Christy, I thank you so much for being here today. Um, this is a... a, a a, per, a passion to me in my personal life that I love to watch. And I think it's, again, just because of everything I do and have done and had a dual life, it's really hard to be very empathic mm -hmm. and being in law enforcement when it's all about just the facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a duality there. So, but you're oh, walking the same kind of duality in talking to the paranormal and still trying to do the research and keep it authentic. And that's why I honor you because you, you are doing it what I consider the right way. And I think that's why you get the results you get is because of the respect and the integrity that you go in there with. And a lot of people, it's just all about the show. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. And and that is what we strive to do. You know, the, the history is first and foremost to us because without the history, we're not going to have the paranormal. And so to go in, as I said before, and have this very tactile experience with these places um, that some in our audience might not get a chance to go to, um, to be able to bring them along on that experience with us, that's really what we want to do to highlight those the historical significance of the place first, why it's important, why it needs to be preserved, um, and really showcase that and then bring in uh, secondary, really bring in um, the, the paranormal aspect and why that's important. But it, it, it actually shows the whole story. And that, that's, that's the best part about it. It's, it doesn't leave questions or it doesn't leave, you know, I'm not sure if it's, it's haunted or not. And I've heard that on several shows and I'm like, mm -hmm. you're hearing voices. How could you say it's not haunted? Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's there, whether you can see them or not see them, somebody's there whispering in your ear. Mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, for us, we really try to let the audience draw their own conclusion. Um, so majority of the time, we won't say, you know, this is haunted. We'll say, these are the things we couldn't explain. When we control for all of the things that we can control, and we have, a, 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 you know, we know who's there and who's not. And we're an all-female team capturing males' voices. To your point, I can't explain that. That's something that is outside my level of, of explanation. Now, if somebody wants to come and say, oh, well, this, 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 then I want to have that dialogue because I don't want to put out anything out there that's not factual. Right. Um, right. But for us in the moment, controlling for everything that we can control for, this is what we're left with. And for us, you know, these locations have absolutely been fascinating. But the thing is, is you're not the only one that has been there and gotten the same thing. So that just validates you when you go to do yours. Yeah, so with that, that's amazing. So um, Dr. Christy Sumner, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, if you'll hang on just a minute. Sure. Um, Wow. 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 I just want to say that this is one of a special, special interview for me with Dr. Christy Sumner. And it takes a special kind of individual to dream their thoughts and ideas and turn it into reality. She has done that. It is about, I mean, not many people can go and stay in a haunted place. So that is what I call stepping past their fears, stay in the course and have the courage to follow through to the end. Christy Sumner, you've championed yourself. Now we know who you've become. Thank you for sharing all of your experiences, the, the incidences, and thank you for being with us here today.